All right, we are back. I wanted to um, back up into some uh, discussion of medicine in relation to the uh, CME I had to do. thought it'd be worth mentioning a little piece that was in family practice news related to diagnoses from the DSM-4, or as you pref- if you prefer the DSM-5 now. But they did a study some months back related to cl- clinicians meeting their DSM-4 diagnostic criteria for people that they labeled as depressed or Major Depressive Episodes, MDEs. In a study where 5,639 participants were um, clinician-identified as being depressed, on closer inspection, only 38.4% actually met MDE criteria. Maybe this explains why Zoloft and those medicines are working so well. Voila, you're not depressed. And hopefully you don't have David Brenner noted diarrhea. But uh, this report noted that additionally, a majority of participants reported using prescribed psychiatric medications regardless of whether they met MDE conditions. Hmm. The study author, Dr. Raman Mochtabi of the Department of Mental Health at Johns Hopkins uh, School of Public Health in Baltimore, said that, quote, this finding highlights the growing trends in prescription and use of psychiatric medication and especially antidepressants in the U.S., even in the absence of a psychiatric diagnosis. All right, and if this doesn't scare you, go, go read the article. Go pull it up online and read the whole thing. And there's this blurb which we did not use for our stat of the day, but could have from the Wall Street Journal, which noted earlier this month that the number of children diagnosed with ADHD has almost doubled in the last 20 years with one in five American boys now diagnosed with the condition by age 17. I got to say, when I hear people talking about how it is we need more money in American healthcare to go toward treating psychiatric illnesses, my response, I think, would be, well, yeah, maybe, but why don't we make sure, first of all, that they really do have a psychiatric illness? I think we'll just, you know, leave be the issue of how effective treatments are today. And go on to another thing they talked about at the conference, uh, about how exercise is so important. And although this was not discussed, we've talked about on the show previously, studies showing that if you sit at a desk all day long, well, you... Might as well take up smoking because it's an independent risk factor. It is horrible for your health. So I dropped in on one of those um, showrooms in San Francisco that uh, exhibits a lot of these desks that go up and down, either with motors or manually. And I think I'm going to get one. It looked like that was a good way to spend at least part of your day, standing part of the day, sitting part of the day, etc., Uh, If you've got something to share as regards experience in using these stand-up desks, drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. All right, let's follow up on our story about the election in North Korea. Well, it turns out that every single eligible voter in North Korea, in fact, turned out to vote, and they voted in favor of the state's slate of deputies. At least that's according to the North Korean media. Yes, perhaps not surprisingly, candidates picked by dictator Kim Jong-un received 100% of the vote with a 100% turnout. Voting is mandatory every five years, and there's only one question on the ballot. Yes to all the names listed. 
which I do have to say is probably a closer form of democracy than we may get here in Sacramento as regards this King's Arena downtown. I got a nice color glossy ad. Nice piece of cardboard here from my local city councilman now running for state assembly. He thought that arena would be a good idea. And he's just somehow not able to take a stand on this, uh, this issue about the new development over there in, uh, near the freeway, which we'll talk about in a minute. But uh, I got to say, you know, if you don't, if you don't irritate your local uh, developers, well, you may have a lot of extra money, it looks like, to put out some campaign literature. It's hard not to be deeply cynical about politics. Uh, you know, these questions about, you know, is, does Hillary Clinton have an open path to the White House? And what about this long list of Republicans who may want to run for president? we got congressmen, senators, governors, and others. Of course, I have to question this list that the B provided. On the other part, there was Herman Cain, we've heard of him, Ben Carson, a neurosurgeon, John Bolton, lawyer and diplomat, and Ted Nugent. You know, if the Republican Party does nominate Ted Nugent for president, this correspondent will move to Costa Rica. No, they don't, they don't need to elect him. They just need, they just nominate him, I'm going to move to Costa Rica. And there's all this buzz, supposedly, between the candidates for governor here in, 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 in California. I mean, will it be Neil Kashkari or Tim Donnelly? If you care about this, well, maybe there is a use for some of these psychiatric medications out there. Not that we're fond of our current governor, because, you know, we're not. But it is depressing to contemplate, uh, you know, an article here in The Economist, which I have in my hand, asking about the midterm elections. Can the Republicans win the Senate? What the hell happened between the time that the Constitution got formulated, we were going to have all these means by which we would be self-governed, and the seizing control, <laughs> the levers of how things operate by a couple of rival gangs? I know our founding fathers had a very dim view of political parties. And clearly over the decades and centuries, their, their dim view has been, <laughs> has been vindicated. But how can it be that these, these machines that are set up, the, these movers and shakers, these millionaires and people that uh, uh, influence things, get to decide who the candidates are? Because, you know, let's face it, there's a bit of a fly in the ointment here. Although we may like any of a thousand people to, um, to govern us, the fact of the matter is the people that are going to be running from whom you'll get to choose, going to be a pretty small list. I don't know. It's hard not to get depressed when looking at uh, this piece about the arena vote. It notes that the city council is scheduled to certify an environmental impact report on the project in early April. Well, yeah, I mean, at least that's honest reporting by the B. No matter what it says, you know they're going to certify it. And since these environmental impact re reports are paid for by the developers, it's a continuing source of amazement to us at this program that our local media takes them as seriously as they do. But in other political news, I certainly do want to thank Roger Dickinson, my uh, assemblyman, I guess, for sending me some thoughtful tips on how it is I can save water indoors and outdoors. Roger suggests that I do not use running water to defrost frozen foods. Instead, use a microwave or maybe leave the food in the refrigerator overnight. Also, I can use the garbage disposal less. Personally, folks, I hate garbage disposal. The one that I had in the house, I had ripped out and thrown away. It seems to me your vegetable matter should go out in the compost pile, not to the sewage treatment plant. But there's just a cacophony of suggestions coming our way currently about how it is we, we can save water. We mentioned that plant show in San Francisco last month with the various forms of cacti. I suppose it's only a matter of time before they start telling us how, how attractive rock gardens look. There's a piece in the bee by Debbie Arrington. Want to save water? Focus on lawns, bathrooms. 
Well, as a matter of fact, I, I am putting buckets up in my shower. I do want to keep my lawns uh, looking reasonably healthy. And in, in spite of the low water status we expect here in California for the next God knows how long. But there's a letter here to the B. I think I should quote. I wish it had come to us. But uh, what P.J. Kershaw Roseville had to say, well, in essence, is coming to us because I'm going to read the whole damn thing right now. Said Mr. Kershaw, Regarding in-record drought, state leaders can't ignore agriculture to save water, editorials February 21st, the B's editorial board accurately stated that household use of water is scant compared to farm use of water. Despite the fact that only 4% of California's fresh water is consumed by households and the remaining 96% is consumed by farm and industrial and commercial uses, our government agencies and utilities are pushing for a 20% reduction in household water use and for imposition of penalties for failure to abide. These same agencies and utilities fail to articulate planned reductions by farm, industrial, or commercial water users. 20% of 4% equals 0.8% water saved. If farm, industry, and commerce merely reduced their 96% by 5%, that would result in 4.8% of all water saved, more than all household use combined. Mr. Kershaw concludes with, Focusing on cutting household water use will have no significant impact on our total freshwater supply and is absurd. Do the math. Well, thankfully he did, and we're happy to repeat it. And since we're on a bit of a tear here, let me quote another letter that's worthy of quoting from Chris Lewis, who wrote the B to say, Regarding where is water for new homes, why are developers not facing cutbacks on the number of houses and big box stores they're building? They are facing zero pain from the drought. We'll all be left with the consequences of the increased runoff from pavement and water wasted on lawns. We need to tell our elected officials that current residences take priority over future growth. Why a blanket 20% reduction? People with huge lawns can easily cut 50%, but those of us who have always conserved cannot cut more. People who use the most should pay through the nose for it until it hurts so much that they stop. Nothing else is remotely fair. All right, let's quit talking about that and talk about some science. As mentioned at the top of the program, Dr. Vladimir Donetsk has done some interesting work regarding the crocodilians. Dr. Donetsk is a zoologist who earned his Ph.D. from the University of Miami. Before that, he obtained a master's degree in biological engineering from Moscow State University. Dr. Donetsk maintains a popular bilingual blog in English and Russian on LiveJournal. We've talked about some of the work he's been involved with, and we're pleased to be able to say welcome to Radio Parallax, Vladimir Donetsk. Thanks for having me. I want to start with this story that kind of opened up a lot of eyes about the fact that uh, apparently crocodiles use lures to capture birds. At certain times of the year, birds are making nests, and somehow these animals know that, and they put sticks in their snouts, and I guess and it allow, allows them to catch birds. I didn't really discover it because it's been known for quite a while, but nobody really tried to prove that it was not a random event, that crocodiles were doing it on purpose. Uh-huh. And I did a few observations to demonstrate that they were doing it intentionally. And and what 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 convinced you of that? Well, I found that they do it much more often when they are around the Egypt colonies, and I found that they time this activity to the nest building season of the egrets. And were you able to witness a lot of these events where they caught birds? 
very few, but uh, you know, crocodiles eat about ten times less than mammals of the same size, so they don't have to catch anything that often. So it's very difficult to see them actually, actually catching stuff. I, I know that in traveling around the world, you do find areas where there are a lot of uh, crocodiles that might be worrisome in Australia in particular. I understand you've done some research there as well. Uh, well, mostly in New Guinea, yeah, but it's the same, the same species. There were signs up everywhere warning, warning people that there are estuarian uh, crocodiles in the area, and you better be careful, and I, and I don't think they're kidding about that. Estuarian crocodiles kill a few hundred people every year. Really? Yeah, well, it's not as bad as Nile crocodiles, because Nile crocodiles kill thousands every year in Africa. Still, to this day? It, yeah, oh. it's the most dangerous animal in Africa. If you don't count the malaria mosquito, of course. <laughs> right, right. Well, another story that was in the news lately, the addition to the, the idea that crocodiles might be uh, losing lures for birds, was the fact that they, they're better tree climbers than we perhaps appreciated. Now, you did some direct research on that as well. It was quite known to people who work with crocodiles, but nobody bothered to publish it. Okay. And I did a little search among my colleagues on Facebook, and I found people who, got, who had a lot of good observations, and we got together and wrote to paper. Will this make them perhaps more of a hazard? Do people think they're going to get away from them by climbing trees? Well, it's not like they're going to chase you 30 feet and up the tree, but <laughs> they do it sometimes. Obviously, you spend a lot of time with the crocodilians, um, but you do you, you look into other animals as well. Well, one kind of attracted my attention. Uh, there's an animal in Vietnam. The, the, it's the, is it called the Sciola? Quite a rare animal oh, discovered uh -huh. fairly recently. Yeah, it was the last big terrestrial animal to be discovered so far. It was just about 20 years ago, I think. Yeah. And no naturists have seen it in the wild yet. It's very, very rare. Now, it's described as an ox, but we think of ox as being a giant animal, but I guess this is a rather small, uh, small... Um... Well, no, it's, it's, it doesn't look like an ox. It's related to cattle and bison, but it looks more like an antelope. All right, and you, you were able to, to, I guess, get some photographs of their tracks and things. The way it went, WWF was going to established a nature reserve in one of the few places where this animal was suspected to still occur, but they needed solid proof that it's still there before committing the resources. So they invited me to come over and try looking for it, and eventually I found the tracks, and that was the proof they needed. Wow. Just a few weeks ago, they finally got pictures of the animal set by searching automatic cameras at exactly the same location. I was very happy. Yeah. How, how does it... I mean, Vietnam's a very pretty highly populated country. It's, I guess it sort of shocked a lot of people that, uh, that in a densely populated area there'd still be this animal that no one had ever seen. It's just that scientists haven't seen it. If you go into the houses of local hunters, a lot of them have its horns on the walls because it has beautiful horns. <laughs> but you know, there are new species being discovered in the United States from time to time. For example? Well, there is, uh, there's been a couple of rabbits discovered recently. There is another one in Western Tennessee that hasn't been described yet. People are just working on it. There are new species of whales being discovered in the waters of California. Huh. There's a lot of stuff that people don't know about. Uh, well, Dr. Dinets, I don't know whether you've had a chance to, to check out some of the programs that air on, on these uh, science channels, so-called, late at night, but the alligators seem to fascinate people. There's all these programs of people out in the backwoods hunting them and chasing them, and, and what's, what's your comment on, on those sorts of programs? Well, I never watch them because, A... Uh, they all seem fake to me, and B, I don't like this approach to our relations with animals. I mean, if you need to shoot something, just go and shoot it, but why make a circus of it? Right. I understand that American alligators have been uh, perhaps the most um, 
most studied among among crocodilians, but uh, the research I looked at here said that you, you made some discoveries right away about alligators nobody knew about that they actually congregate in, in I guess I guess you'd call it a large dance. Yeah, I call it dance because it looks like a village dance party with people just having fun and <laughs> sometimes coming with their loved ones and spend spend the evening. And sometimes there is some change of partners and small fights and all kinds of interesting things going on. But it happens only at night, so, you know, there are like 2,000 papers written about alligators, but until I did this, nobody tried to observe their behavior in the wild at night, believe it or not. And when I tried doing this, within the first week, I discovered those dances. This is a mating ritual they do? Yeah, they do it in spring. It's really, really easy to see if you know when and where to look. Huh. You can see it just outside the city of Miami. Okay, wow. All right, we're speaking with Dr. Vladimir Donetsk about his research on, on animals, and I, I would just ask you, uh, Doctor, what, what, what are you pursuing um, next in terms of tracking animals in exotic places? Uh, it depends on what kind of financing I would get. I, I'm writing a grant proposal to look for unknown species of primates in uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo, because it's a country that had a civil war for 40 years and nobody did much research there. Right. And now it's becoming kind of marginally accessible. That's the place where bonobos live. Right. It could have a lot of other interesting stuff. And I'm working on a book about mammal watching in North America, which would tell people where to see every species of mammal that occurs here. Because there are lots of species that can be seen if you know the place and the time, but people never get to see them because this information is not easily available. Yeah. And I'm working on another book on reptile social behavior that would summarize my crocodile research, but other people are working on other parts about other reptiles. Well, very good. All right, well, Dr. Donetz, um, you've written a book recently, which I don't know that much about. Tell, tell us about that. Well, it's called Dragon Sons. It's about my research on crocodiles, but I wrote it in a way which is increasingly uncommon in biology. It's almost like an adventure novel. Because I did my research in 26 countries, and there were all kinds of crazy adventures, and I met some really unusual people, like professional drug smugglers and <laughs> whoever not, and I ended up marrying one of my volunteers after one of the expeditions. So I wrote this kind of adventure book, but it's, it's not a fiction. It's, it actually shows how you do scientific research nowadays, how you come up with the project, how you test the theories. And, of course, it talks a lot about all those amazing discoveries in the life of crocodilians that people have been making recently. And it's now available on Amazon. Well, Dr. Vladimir Nets, thank you for speaking with us, and I hope that uh, we'll continue to see some more of your research uh, featuring in the headline news. Well, thank you. Nice talking to you. All righty. All right, before we go to break, let's just say a, a thing or two about uh, these, these proposed changes to the, to the SAT test. Note of the Washington Post, gone is the mandatory essay returning the test's perfect score to 1,600. Some advanced math will vanish and demands to define obscure words such as sagacious will be replaced with more common college vocabulary like synthesis. Writing in the Post, Kathleen Parker said, the real scandal is that the College Board is dumbing down the SAT. God forbid that students learn fancy words otherwise known as rich vocabulary, or be able to write an essay proving they can think and express themselves clearly. 
Yes, it's unfair that poorer children apparently score an average 400 points lower than the richest. That problem can only be resolved through better schools and teachers. The college board prefers the quickest solution. When the going gets tough, well, why not just make the going easier? You know, we, we don't think sagacious is such an obscure word. Do you? At any rate, let's take a break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. <laughs> 